Hey, thank you, Greg. Well, I am Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Welcome at the GPC. Thank you for braving the rough weather outside to make it here this morning. Um, help me out this morning, if you would, by finishing my sentence for me. You never get a second chance to make a... All right, that was halfway solid. Yep, that's true. Is that true for you? Sometimes, sometimes not. Was it true in your first date? <laughs> or the job interview you were hoping to get? Yeah, it tends to be when it really matters to us, doesn't it? That we actually do tend to dress up. Does it matter on the first day of school? Uh, when we see pictures of our kids and all dressed up, it, they may want to be wearing sweats and maybe gotten up super late and not done their hair yet, but they actually do dress up because it does tend to make a difference what kind of first impression that you tend to make to people, right? Now, here's the thing about first impressions. First impressions often lead to second impressions, which often lead to third and fourth. And at some point in time, the impressions that we get about one another become things that get deeply embedded in our soul, and they become how I see you and how you see me. Have you ever had to rethink an impression that you had about somebody? Have you ever come to a moment and you're like, shoot, they're actually nice, and I really wanted them to be mean, right? I, they were actually this way, but I really, I thought they were going to be like this. And have you ever had to rethink impressions that have, have been impressed upon your heart and soul? I have. In fact, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. Um, just for example, check this out. Okay? Some of you know what's up here already. This is Kanye West and his new album, Jesus is King. All right? No, it's not. Uh, it is. There it is. It's not there. It's not showing. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Kanye West came out with a new album. Whether it's up here or not, I don't know. Maybe I'll reset this. But Kanye West came out with a new album, Jesus is King. And so I began to ask the question like, what? What? Did anyone else ask the question like, whoa, 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 what? Like I have two different categories, right? Like I wouldn't think that I would put Kanye in charge of a men's establishment group for the past several years. And now all of a sudden he's coming out with an album that's hitting the top uh, charts, Billboard and Christian and on, right? Like where does this come from? And I've had to rethink, I've had to rethink an impression that I've had about Kanye. I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to continue to go, hold on, I think we're okay. We're not okay. That's all right. We'll figure it out. If it gets there, it gets there. If not, that's okay. But you can help me out if I need to do anything, Greg. So here's the, so Kanye comes out with this album, right? And I'm like, What? Like, where does this come from? Like, I don't put Kanye West in the category of being a Christian thought leader, right? I just haven't done that, and I've had to rethink an impression. It was maybe two weeks ago that we had the privilege of hosting um, Ann Whitmer's funeral here, and her grandson um, was up here speaking, in fact, right up here speaking, and here's what he had to say. He said, you know, one of the things I've appreciated about my grandma um, is that she had the courage and the humility and the maturity that you been deeply embedded in your heart over the year upon year upon year, and to be willing to rethink a category is a big thing to do, isn't it? Because impressions lead us to certain spaces and certain places, and we tend to think this is just the way life is, right? This morning, what I want us to think about for a minute, I want you to, to consider with me, is, is really a question around this. Like, what if our, what if our current impression, what if our current impression of Jesus 
actually needs to be changed or rethought. What if, however you come to the table this morning, whatever you bring into this row that you're sitting in with the people next to you, if you're watching online right now, live stream, whatever you're, wherever you're watching from your couch or living room, whatever impression you have of Jesus, what if the impression that you have of Jesus, even if it's an amazing, incredible impression, what, what if... What if there's room for it to be changed? What if there's room for it to go a little bit deeper? And what if in the next few minutes we share, it's possible that an impression that you have about Jesus might actually need to be changed? Because what I want to make a case for this morning is that Jesus' love and his care for you and his power is actually more life-changing than you can ever actually imagine and may be more powerful, may be more powerful than you have ever given yourself permission really to think. And what, what happens when we get into a text like we're going to get into this morning, a passage of scripture, a, a, a writing that John had who followed Jesus, we're going to read something. And if you've been around church for a little, a little while, you're going to hear words and they're going to put you in a certain category. And you're going to think, oh, well, I know what this means. right? Like, I know what this is about. I know where this is going. Therefore, this is my impression of it. And this is where, this is the limit of how it will impact me. Right? But what if, what if we can see things in a fresh way? What if we can see them in a brand new way and reconsider who Jesus actually, actually is and how he introduces himself to the world? Look at this. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your help. So here's, here's what I want to say. So here's how Jesus has, introduces himself today. This is a series we've been in for several weeks now. Today, Jesus is simply going to introduce himself as the good shepherd. Okay, as the good shepherd. How many of you interact with a shepherd every week? Right. But if you've been around church at all, or you've been around people who've been around church, you can have an impression of what a shepherd is and what it means. And I want to take you to a space that may be a little bit different than what you're used to around this. And to get us started, I want to invite you to turn um, to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew near you. We want you to take that with you as our gift to you if you don't own one. But John is the fourth letter or book in the New Testament. Uh, the right two-thirds of the Bible, you'll find John. John chapter 10 is where we're going to land. And as you turn there, and we're kind of getting our minds into this good shepherd thing, I want you to know that if you have a positive impression of what a shepherd is, if you think about Jesus as a shepherd and good things come to mind, then that is already unusual. Because when Jesus made this comment, he was speaking in the ancient Near East, and when he makes a comment that I'm the good shepherd, people have no category for it. It's almost like saying this, hi, I'm Tim, I'm the good politician. Is there a category for that? <laughs> and this, in a way, is what happens. In fact, I want to just take you to briefly some background. Here's what people would have thought about shepherds. In Jeremiah, here's the shepherds of Israel were like this. This is what God says to them. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away, have not bestowed care on them, I'll bestow punishment on you for the evil that you shepherds have done. Jeremiah 25, we read this. Weep and wail, you shepherds. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock, for your time to be slaughtered has come. You will fall like the best of the rams. Later on, let's see if we're going to keep, you know, it's stuck again, sorry. Later on in Isaiah chapter 56, it says this. Israel's watchmen are blind and they all lack knowledge. 
They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn their own way and they seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer and tomorrow will be like today or even far better. It's crazy to me when you think about shepherds, the kind of negative imagery that people would have had about shepherds. And Jesus comes in and he says this in verse 11 of John chapter 10. He says this, I am the good shepherd. And then he clarifies it because people are like, excuse me, there's not really a category for this, but carry on. And he clarifies it by saying two things about it. One in chapter, in verse 11, and the other we'll get to in verse 14. But verse 11 first. Here's what the good shepherd does. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then he goes on in 12 and 13 that we're going to read. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. Very important distinction. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he, what does he do? He abandons the sheep and what? He, look at it, he runs, he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And so the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If any of you are employers, you know this problem. You can't pay people enough to care, right? You can't pay them enough to care. You can pay them to show up, but you can't pay them to care. Have you ever been in a restaurant and you've seen a napkin on the floor? You've seen someone walk by who's not the owner and then someone who is an owner walks by? Or if someone walks by and they pick up something that's not in their job description to do, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, you're going to be an owner someday, right? Like you're stepping out of what is just your little role. You actually care. You can't pay somebody to care. And this is what Jesus says. The good shepherd is different than the hired hand. The hired hand does his job, but it ain't in my job description to die for these sheep. I'm just going to keep them alive for, for now. But if trouble comes, I'm out, right? Have we ever experienced that? And here's the thing that Jesus lays out to me that is so profound to me, that his love is so deep that he says, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. All of the past people that you're used to as being shepherds of the flock, and now he's speaking spiritually, he's speaking to Pharisees, religious leaders, all the people who have in your past abused and hurt you, the people we read about here in Jeremiah and in Isaiah, the people who have been supposed to lead you to good pasture, who was supposed to protect you when things got hard, they were the ones who ran. Listen, I'm the good shepherd. Don't give up on all shepherds because you've had some bad hired hands. I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but here's what I think is true in my life. That there are times when I will set up, as picturing myself as a sheep, I will set up certain um, protections for me. I will set up um, a, a shepherd or a hired hand in front of the gate of my life. See if you can relate to this. You ever, you ever set up in front of this space of, of your heart, um, you know, your spouse as the one who will protect you? In times when you're discouraged, in times when you're depressed, your spouse will be the one to protect you from the wolf that attacks of low self-esteem or of lack of achievement. You ever placed your job in that space to say, when I don't feel worthwhile, I'm going to remind myself that I've built a good company, that I'm faithful, that I'm consistent, that I work hard, that I'm going to place that shepherd there that will guard me from the wolf that will attack. You ever place a a relationship there of someone who's always going to be there for you and never going to walk away from you, and they're guarding that gate of your heart. They're the good shepherd who is standing there, and when the wolf attacks, they're going to protect you. And if you ever have people in spiritual authority in that space, you ever have a coach in there or a mentor in there? 
See, all of us have this tendency to want to have our hearts guarded by somebody, by something outside of us. And Jesus is introducing this category that sometimes, sometimes, the hired hand is actually what is placed there, not the good shepherd. And they look the same until the wolf comes. They look the same until it gets real. They look the same until the, the, um, the ante is upped and pain is real. And when pain is real, all of a sudden you realize who is guarding your heart, who is guarding that space, who is guarding that world. And when all of a sudden the pain comes rushing in like a wolf attacking deep within your soul, you have to ask the question, who is guarding this space? Is the good shepherd here? Or have I placed or have I hired a hired hand to be put in this space to protect my heart and to lead me to God? And you know, and I know, you can't pay someone enough to care. So Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to die. I'm going to die for you. Rather than let the wolf come and attack you, I'm going to die for you. My love is so deep that I'm willing to take it on. And then he goes further in verse 14. Look what he says in verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they too will listen to my voice. Here's what I want to say about this. Not only, not only is Jesus' love so deep for you that he's willing to die for you, but his care is so personal that he knows your story. His care is so personal, he knows your name. His care is so personal, he knows what you are not willing to tell even the person next to you right now. Your parents, you're not willing to talk about this with them. Your spouse, you can't share this with them right now, or you don't want to, or you're afraid to. He knows your story, and he knows your name. That Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Can you imagine how your life might be different? If you went to work, if you went to school with this impression of, you know what? The good shepherd who guards my life knows everything about my story. He knows my name, for goodness sakes. He knows my name and he knows my story. Can you imagine what kind of confidence you might have if you could rest in knowing that all the things that we try to work for, things you try to work for as a mom and as a dad and as a student, that all these things that we are aiming for, goodness, that Jesus knows your story, knows your background, knows your history, knows your pain, and knows the secret struggles that you have. Now, on one hand, I might say this. This could make a good Hallmark card, by the way. I don't know if you've, any of you are Hallmark movie fans, but this could make a good Hallmark card. On the front, it would be like, Jesus loves me, right? Jesus loves me and cares for me. I mean, isn't that good? You could put flowers around that, you know, right? And have nice pastel colors, and the front would be nice and soft and warm, and that would be great, right? It would be. It would be, be pretty cool. If Jesus loves me deeply, and he cares for me personally. I mean, we could make that work. Right? We could play with that language. We could sell that. But here's what I want to add, and here's what Jesus adds, that when you open the card, inside of it, it all of a sudden changes. The, the tone and the tenor change. Because Jesus' interest isn't just 
in helping you and me feel better about ourselves, although I think that's a result of knowing who Jesus is. Jesus loves you so deeply and cares for you so personally, but here's what he did in order to validate that. Look what happens here in verse, in verse um, 17. He says this, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He says, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So check it out. Just in case you think Jesus is soft, or you think talking about love and care is soft for a minute, Jesus is like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to tell you I'm going to die for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. That he validates the front of the Hallmark card, if you will, with his very blood, with his life. That he gets on the cross, stripped down and beaten and tortured to death, dying because his love for you is so deep and his care for you is so personal that he's not going to let anyone else be the good shepherd of your soul. Any hired hand stand in that spot. His love is so strong and his care so deep that he says, I will lay it down for you. No question. That is a game changer. And the people who stood there listening to this, because of their first impressions about shepherds, and their first impressions about Jesus, that became second impressions and third and fourth, because they had a category or a box for people who talked about spiritual things, they didn't all buy it. They were divided in how they reacted. And the, John tells us that directly. Look what he says in verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. And many of them said, he is demon-possessed demon and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Because Jesus had just done that. He just came off in John chapter 9 from healing the blind man. So people are listening to Jesus and they're like, I don't know. I'm confused. I've never heard anyone talk like this before. Right? I've never heard of a shepherd who can be this good, who can love this deeply and care so personally, who would be willing to die for me. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Now, here's what Jesus is actually saying. I want to take you back in time again for a minute. And we'll see if it works up here or not. I'm not sure. There's one passage in the Old Testament that I didn't um, read from yet, and it's in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, we begin to hear how Jesus uh, or how shepherds are spoken about. So let's see. There we go. Look at that. Ezekiel chapter 34. See if this tone sounds familiar. In Ezekiel, God is speaking there to Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the bad shepherds of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Okay? This sounds very familiar, right? If you heard at the beginning, shepherds who weren't doing a good thing. But this isn't the only thing that Ezekiel says. As the chapter goes on in Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24, read this. God is saying that he's going to have a solution to this problem of bad shepherds. His solution is going to be this. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, that's good news. So all they need to do, if you're in Ezekiel's time, is look forward to David, right? I mean, David, he just named the shepherd. Well, the problem with this is that David died 400 years ago. When this was written, David had already lived and died. 
And so you have to ask the question, are we looking for a David reincarnation or what exactly are we looking for, Ezekiel? And God finishes this chapter this way. Read it here in chapter 34, verses 30 and 31. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. This is the result when they see this shepherd. They will know that I am with them and that they, they, the Israelites, they are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. Jesus stands in that moment, in that space and time history, speaking to these Pharisees in the time when he was speaking, coming off of healing the blind man, and he says, I am the good shepherd. That one good shepherd that was spoken about in the Old Testament, that time you were looking for, nation of Israel, the the shepherd who would do what God promised to do, I am that one. He's not just speaking on a Hallmark card saying God loves you and cares for you. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of 400 years of history of your anticipation of waiting for someone to come. Someone to come to this planet and as a good shepherd guide you to see and know that God is with you. And God is close to you, even in the middle of your pain, even in the middle of your hurt, even in the middle of your confusion. That God's love is so deep and his care is so personal that he knows your story and he's willing to validate it with his very life. That is the story of the Good Shepherd. Can you imagine what a life would be like if you actually believed that every day? Because here's the question I ask. When people heard this and they were divided, when you're divided and you're not sure, you're trying to decide, do I believe this or not? And so in moments like that, I ask this question. What's at stake if I do nothing? What's at stake if I do nothing? What's at stake this morning if you do nothing? What's at stake if you come in here and you walk out the same as how you walked in? What if your impression of Jesus and his interaction with your daily life remains the same as it was when you came in. What's at stake if you do nothing? It's a great question. Here's what I think is at stake. For all of us, we have someone or something that guards that door, if you will, to our heart, that keeps us, we think, safe. Something that we will hide behind or lean into. And what's at stake is thinking that the good shepherd is leading you when actually the hired hand is. That's what's at stake. What's at stake is living your life thinking, I'm following the good shepherd, when in fact you might be following the hired hand. And the hired hand looks a lot like a good shepherd until things get bad. And when things get really bad, when pain comes deep and cuts hard, when grief overflows in words that you can't find, when confusion reigns and you don't know what to do relationally, financially, with your future, when you wonder if you'll ever be able to change or not, you know and you can tell whether that person that you follow, the achievement that you follow, sometimes yourself and myself that I follow, whether we are enough and what is in front of us is enough, and what is leading us is enough, can it bear the weight of your soul? 
because the good shepherd can and has. He's come to say, I love you, you, so much. And I care about you so much. I know your name and your story. And I will die for you. And then he invites his sheep, follow me. Follow me. And the people are divided because there's a lot at stake if you decide to follow the good shepherd. There's a lot at stake. And what what a future it could be if you and I, with a kind of relentless passion, could follow the good shepherd day after day, struggle after struggle, failure after failure, misstep after misstep, but continue to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I want to follow the good shepherd. I don't know how to do that today, but I want to do it with the help of the people who are around me. I want to do it with the help of the people who are next to me. I want to do it with the help of the people in this church, in this community. And I want to follow the good shepherd. And I don't want to mistake the hired hand for this person. What would it mean for you? What would it mean for you if you engaged the good shepherd's deep love and care for you and your story? Where could you rest your identity, your self-esteem, your future hopes and dreams? Where could you rest them if you actually woke up and believed Jesus is my good shepherd who laid down his life for me. Where would that take you? Where would that take you? The opportunity we have this morning is a unique one as a church, especially coming off of what Jesus tells us as a good shepherd, the one who would die for us. And what we do six times a year is we have a chance to share in communion. Now, communion might put you in a box for a minute, so hold on. Here's what I see happen sometimes. We hear the word communion, we get into a box. Before we get into the box of here's what's coming next, think about where we've just been. Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. What that means is my body's going to be broken, my blood is going to be poured out for you. What a better space to stop and remember the actual sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me than to take a moment this morning and physically touch the bread and eat the bread together physically touch the cup and drink together, drink together, remembering Jesus' blood that was poured out for you and for me. And so I pray for you this morning and for me that when we take these elements, we're going to share these elements with you in a moment. We're going to hold them until all have been served. But the bread and the cup that we're going to share this morning, we invite all of you to take. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to, to participate with us. You don't need to be a member of Grace Point Church. We want to share with you what has been commanded that the church always share together, and that is a remembrance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection so that we will remember him until he comes. So this morning, as we take communion, right, as you get the the bread and then as you get the cup, I pray that the tangible reminders of seeing that the reason we're doing this is because the good shepherd who loves you so much, who knows your name and your story, cares so personally for you that he died for you. You validated his love with his death. And so I pray that communion will be at space this morning where you can consider this question. What would my life be like if I really believed Jesus loved me and cared so deeply for me? And what's at stake if I do nothing else? So I'd like to pray for us here and give us a moment as we transition into communion.
and then invite all of you to participate together. And then after we serve the elements, I'll get up uh, and lead us into, uh, into sharing them together. So will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to see again in John chapter 10 what you have wanted us to see, that your Son Jesus Christ is indeed the Good Shepherd, the one who has come to reset all expectations about what spiritual leadership should look like, about what it looks like to have someone in front of us who draws us into a relationship with God. I pray that you would help us distinguish whether we have a hired hand that we have hired to be in front of us and leading us, the hired hand of our ambitions, the hired hand of our spouse, the hired hand of a relationship, the hired hand of our future financial hopes and dreams. I pray that you would help us to see if we have a hired hand out here or if we wake up following the Good Shepherd and his leading day by day by day, who's willing to die for us. And so we thank you for the chance this morning to share in communion, to have the bread and the cup. What a privilege it is to be in a space where we can share that together with all of our frailties, all of our brokenness, and all of our insecurities and stuff that we carry. Pray for those this morning who are dealing with deep grief, who are dealing with pain, who are struggling. Pray for those this morning who want more from life and those who are in the middle of incredible things and great future hopes and dreams. I pray that in the space we're in now, we can be drawn back to the Good Shepherd standing at that gate that we will follow no matter what. So we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to share together in this communion time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.